Live from the basement, this is Cellar Dweller Sports. And we're back with another edition of Cellar Dweller Sports featuring K-Dog and G-Mac. Welcome back to the Cellar. We're here with the New York Metropolitans and the New York Islanders. Today's rundown, we have the NBA playoff preview with an in-depth analysis of the Knicks and Nets series preview. Then we have the Islanders rewind of the first round so far. And then we'll move on to... Mets and Yankees rewind and preview, and K Dog's fantasy minute to finish it off at the end. So, first off, we'll start out with the NBA playoff preview, and we'll start out in the Eastern Conference, and we'll start out with we'll go one uh, we'll start out the one versus eight matchup, which is the Philadelphia 76ers taking on the Washington Wizards, and the Wizards obviously got in from the play-in tournament, uh, and the Sixers have been the one seed for most of the year. I don't see how the Sixers don't sweep the Wizards in this one. I I have the Sixers winning in four against the Wizards. Uh, Bradley Beal, Westbrook for the Wizards are pretty good, but I don't think they can stop and bead. Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, and company. Is Beal playing? Yeah, Bradley Beal is playing. He's going to play? Yeah, okay. he, he's playing. And, uh, yeah, so I think that the Sixers handily beat the Wizards in four and uh, move on to the next round. Okay, dog, I, I agree with you that the uh, Sixers beat the Wiz. Everybody beats the Wiz. But surprisingly, these two teams are they have pretty much ident- they're identical in all statistics except the win-loss record. It's really odd. Mm. Uh, the Wiz are under 500, and the Sixers finish first. The Wiz have been awful for most of the season, except for the last 16 weeks. In the, you know, uh, six weeks, I should say. They were 17-32, and 32, K-Dog, and then they really got it going the last six weeks going 17 and six to get a playoff spot. So, you know, I, I don't know whether they have enough to beat the the Sixers. I doubt it. Uh, you know, I'm not a Russell Westbrook advocate. Uh, I don't think he gets it done in the playoffs. He's a me guy, give me the points, and that's really his game. And I don't know how healthy Beal is going to be, even though he's playing in, uh, he's playing in the play. So, K-Dog, it's, it's the, the Sixers will beat the Wiz. Maybe the Wiz win a game. We'll see. Yeah, so uh, Sixers will dominate the Wizards. And we'll move on to the 2 versus 7 matchup, which is the Brooklyn Nets versus the Boston Celtics. And I'm going to go with, obviously, the Brooklyn Nets. I'm going to go in a sweep obviously, here. a sweep. I'm going to go oh, in a man. sweep here. Boston is without Jalen Brown, and I don't think Jason Tatum has shown his star power yet enough in the playoffs to carry this team to where they need to be. Uh, Besides Tatum, uh, Kemba Walker has been struggling all year this year. Uh, The rest of their team has 
little to no big names besides Marcus Smart uh, coming off the bench. And then uh, their centers are lackluster at best. And uh, I think Brad Stevens hasn't coached as well as he has in the past. I think he's going to get fired this year. Yeah, I think he could he could get the boot this year because uh, this team should at least be better than a seven seed. I they shouldn't have made the playing tournament. They should have been at least a five seed. And uh, Brad C- Stevens uh, obviously has to pick it up, or he's going to get tossed. And then on the other side for the Nets. Uh, what do you? What can't you say about them? Uh, James Harden, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving are back. It's going to be the big three postseason for the Nets, and then the Nets have the supporting cast as we talked about all year with Nick Claxton, Joe Harris, and company. I just think that the Nets are a way deeper team than the Celtics, and the Nets obviously have the big three in the league right now. And uh, Steve Nash has picked it up coaching lately uh, with good subs and stuff, letting Clax play more minutes, especially uh, coming down to the wire, uh, letting DeAndre Jordan sit a little bit, which is good for the Nets, obviously. And uh, Nets in four against the Boston Celtics. Okay, dog, for the Metropolitans, it's win the championship or bust Mm -hmm. anything less is a failure this year uh, because this team is built for now yeah there is no future um i I expect the metropolitans to beat the boston celtics i i think it'll go six games k-dog i don't think think it's gonna be as easy as you think now you know the the if um, the Celtics don't win, their coach is going to get fired. That's that's my prediction. Uh, you you indicate Steve Nash has improved on uh, improved with his coaching. Well, he didn't have to do improve on you know much from yeah. here. The basketballs go play, uh, but you know the key for the Nets in this whole tournament. The key for the Nets in this whole tournament is uh, defense. That's what it is. It's defense. Yeah. And the Nets lose interest in playing defense. They truly lose interest in playing defense. And if they want to win the chip, win the chip, they're not going to win by scoring 150 points. Yeah. Okay? They're not. They're going to have to play some defense. They're going to have to hold teams to 110 points a game. Otherwise, you know, they, they are vulnerable to lose. But I don't think they're going to lose to the Celtics. You know, Kemba Walker will have to have a great game, all right? And uh, if he doesn't have, I mean, great series. If he doesn't have a great series and, you know, Tatum doesn't have a great series, they just, they're not going to win. And they, they just don't have enough depth. You know, they have to match up with the big three. And I think if they had only a big one or a big two, that they would uh, win this win this series alone. So, you know, uh, the center position is going to be key in the championship and this tournament. It's going to be huge, right? Even though LaMarcus Aldridge has retired, it looks like they're going with Nick Claxton, Blake Griffin, and Jeff Green with most of the, mm-hmm. the time at center. And DeAndre Jordan's on the outside 
looking in perhaps and and that's a good thing because i think nick claxton has earned earned uh the starting time and the playing time so you know if they don't lose focus on defense i i i see them going far in this tournament and they'll, they'll certainly beat the uh, celtics but i don't think it's going to be as easy as you think oh uh, well i do and uh we'll see what happens uh in the first round for the the nets as we move on to the next matchup, which is the three versus six matchup, uh, the Bucks versus the Miami Heat, and in this one, uh, last year obviously the Heat swept the Bucks in four games uh, in in the bubble tournament play, uh, and I think that this is a great matchup with these teams because. Uh, the regular season, they had a pretty good matchup uh, throughout the year. And then I think that the Heat with Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo match up well with Giannis Antetokounmpo and Chris Middleton. Uh, both teams have great supporting casts as well with uh, the Heat having Goran Dragic and Tyler Hero and company. And then for... The Bucks they have uh, Drew Holiday, which was a big pickup for them. And in this series, I'm going to go with the Heat in oh, six on. games. The Heat in six games? The Heat in six games. Wow. I, I like Giannis a lot, but uh, I just think that the Heat will continue their domination of the Bucks in the playoffs and beat them in six games. Uh, Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler will have fantastic series. Um, and I think that they will move on to the next round, uh, Heat and six. Okay, dog. You know, this isn't 2020 in the bubble. And I, and I typically like the Heat and I like uh, Jimmy Buckets. Uh, the Bucks are a higher octane team scoring a lot more than the Heat do. And the Bucks also have a rebounding advantage, K-Dog. Let's face it, the Heat are not the team. Like I said, we saw in the bubble last year. The Heat have not been good against team with winning records. The Heat have a top 10 D, but the offense has struggled. K-Dog, the Heat were 12-21 and 21 against teams that had a winning record. 12-21. and 21. Mm-hmm. This is not a formula for winning in the playoffs, where pretty much every team has a winning record, except for the Wiz. However... They beat the Bucks in the playoffs last year, and the Bucks typically have been a playoff disappointment, K-Dog. The question is whether the Greek freak can finally break through. I'm not sure he can. The Bucks can break through for the chip, but they will get revenge against the Heat. It's hard to pick against Jimmy Buckets and the Heat team that may have more actually talent than the Bucks collectively. That's my opinion. They might have more talent collectively than the Bucks. The Bucks just have an, an incredible one incredible player. Uh, although they've you know added some complementary players, and still I think the Heat have uh, more talent. The Heat just don't seem to have the chemistry that they had last year, and they will need to find it to win this series. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm picking the Bucks K Dog in wow. six in six games. Six games. All right. So we both think it's going six. So. We'll see what happens in the Bucks Heat matchup, but now we'll move on to the four versus five matchup. The New York Knicks home court advantage against the Atlanta Hawks, and uh, 
for the Knicks to win this series, obviously Julius Randle has to play to his MVP level that he's been playing all year long. Uh, Thibodeau, Coach of the Year finalist, and Derrick Rose, Sixth Man of the Year finalist uh, in the NBA awards, and uh, they're going up against Trey Young and Clint Capella with John Collins as well. But I'm picking the Knicks to win in oh, six boy. games. How, how did I know that was coming? The Knicks are going to move on to play the Sixers in the second round, I believe. Uh, the Knicks will hold Atlanta. They they played Atlanta really well this year, uh, and I think they're going to continue with it. Uh, their last game they played was an overtime thriller, but the the Knicks blew out the Hawks in overtime, and. I think the Knicks continue this with Julius, RJ, IQ, and company. Uh, I think that this series will go six, but the Knicks keep New York basketball alive with the Nets as well, and they both move on to the second round. Okay, dog. So both neither of these teams have a lot of playoff experience. The Knickerbockers haven't been in the playoffs since 2013. And Atlanta hasn't appeared since 2016. So neither of these teams, you know, have uh, any playoff experience. Mm-hmm. You know, the I think one of the advantages the Knicks have is that Tom Thibodeau, um, you know, if he's not the coach of the year, he, he really should be for what he's done with the Knicks. I mean, this is basically you know, almost the same roster as last year, a couple of additions. But um, he's really turned them around. And, you know, I think the Knicks, their, their guard play matches up well with Atlanta's guard play. You know, with Trey Young, I think uh, you got Alfred Payton, you got Derrick Rose, you got Emmanuel Quickly, uh, you got Alec Burks, right? You got R.J. Barrett. So I think the Knicks guard play is an advantage for them. And I think the Knicks bench is certainly advantage for them. I think Julius Randle inside, you know, I don't think anybody can rank or match up with uh, Julius Randle. I know Capella's pretty good, but, you know, I I just don't see him uh, and the the Hawks being able to contain uh, Randle. Mm -hmm. And again, I talked about the bench. So, I mean, the key for the, the Knicks, you know, they rank fourth in the league defensively, uh, allowing 107 points, right? And, um, you know, the key for the Knicks is they have to hold the other team under 100 points. When they hold the other team under 100 points, they win. Um, and, and the Hawks, uh, you know, they have a good offense. Certainly they have a good offense. Um, and they... they don't turn over the ball as much as they used to. Uh, they, they have some good rebounding as well. And, um, you know, th- they will give the Knicks some problems. But I think the, uh, the Knicks defense will be able to contain the Hawks. I think they keep them under 100 points. And I think this they win the series. But I think this is going to be a really good series. You know, I, I'm saying the Knickerbockers win this in seven. Yeah, I could see in seven, six or seven for the Knicks in this one. As we are done with the Eastern Conference now, we'll move on to the Western Conference and we'll start out with the one versus eight matchup in the West, which is the Utah Jazz versus the Memphis Grizzlies. 
as Memphis defeated uh, Golden State in the second play-in-round game, getting their eighth spot behind John Morant's huge game. And uh, Utah, it, it comes down to if Donovan Mitchell is going to play in this series. And he's one of their key contributors, obviously, one of the better guards in the league. And they need him to go far in this playoffs. But Utah, I see Utah uh, as kind of overrated, in my opinion, because uh, I just think that they're a regular season team and not a playoff team. Uh, Obviously, in the past, they haven't shown that they are a playoff team, and they basically have the same team as last year. But uh, I think they do sneak past Memphis in this one, uh, winning in six games against Memphis. I think uh, the Grizzlies will give Utah a run for their money. Uh, Utah obviously has Rudy Gobert, and I don't think anyone on Memphis could contain him. Uh, Jonas Valanciunas is all right in the center spot, but uh, Rudy Gobert, obviously, Defensive Player of the Year finalist. Uh a shot blocker left and right, multi, uh, double-doubles every night, basically. And uh, I think that Utah wins in six, but uh, Memphis will get a few games because of uh, Ja, but uh, Utah advances. K-Dog, uh, I, I don't think this series is close. I think you're underselling the Utah Jazz. I'm not a big advocate of the jazz but you know they should easily beat the gay head grizzlies here in this one uh, i do like Ja moran he's fun to watch exciting to watch but you know beyond the excitement that he brings and, and the fun that he brings to the game they just don't have i think enough to keep this close uh to be a close matchup i think the utah jazz are very deep and I think they're a team that is a little underrated because nobody sees them nobody in the east coast sees the Utah Jazz unless they're playing the Knicks or the Nets because you're not staying up till 10 30 to watch them tip off yeah that's for certain uh, so I, I think they're a little bit underrated because they just don't get a lot of national coverage but I think they're very deep um, you know the the Jazz beat the the Grizzlies, uh, they swept the regular season series against the, the Grizzlies, and they outscored the Grizzlies by 63 points um, from the th- from the three point line. Uh, the games, you know, were so- somewhat close, um, but the you know the Jazz just took took care of business in both of the games. So you know, I, I don't see it to be any different in this series. I think the uh, the um, Utah Jazz sweep the Gay Head wow. Gay Head Grizzlies four zero, you know, and you know they they need they'll get some playoff experience which will help them next year and hopefully they can get somebody uh, in the draft to help as well uh, so that they can continue to mature and, and go further in the playoffs but they're four and done. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So uh, the Utah Memphis matchup. As we'll move on to the next matchup was with uh, the two versus seven Phoenix Suns taking on the Fake Show at the seven spot, and uh, I like I like Phoenix a lot with Booker and Chris Paul. 
but I still think they're they're young. They're a young team. Uh, I think that uh, the fake show, obviously LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Uh, I think they could hold their own against uh, Utah, uh, Phoenix, I should say. And I'm going with the fake show in five. In five. Yeah, I think wow. the the. Uh, LaFraud gets to the second round uh, in this in this year's uh, tournament. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, Phoenix is young. They have Chris Paul. I feel like this is like the Oklahoma City Thunder experiment that they had last year with Chris Paul where they made the playoffs, but uh, they didn't get far, and I think it's going to happen again. And uh, the Fakers make it past... Uh, the Suns in the first round. K-Dog, uh, you're going with LeBrain and the fake show, huh? Yeah, unfortunately. So I, I think, you know, the fakers have a little bit of the edge inside. They rank six in the league in the points and paint. Phoenix is 26 in that category. You know, they have Anthony Davis and Andre Drummond, but, you know, Aiton is not, you know, he's maturing. And and Jay Crowder, I think, is very underestimated. So I think those two guys will hold their own against Davis and Drummond. And I know the, the Lakers have a lot of depth inside. I mean, Montrez Harrell, he did nothing last year in the playoffs. And, uh, you know, he, he, he doesn't concern me. Morris, he's a tough player. He gets a lot of, you know, a lot of quality minutes. Marcus All, I think, is finished. Uh, so I give him the inside experience. Yeah, and the and the Phoenix lack Phoenix lacks experience. I get that as well. But you know, and the Lakers obviously won the uh, chip last year. But you know, they have a veteran presence in Chris Paul, which I think you cannot underestimate. He's the court general. He's, the, he's their leader. He has a lot of experience. And I think that offsets some of the lack of experience that they have. You know, and, and the key, I think, for the, uh, the Suns is, you know, will they be able to score uh, a lot of points against the, uh, late, the fake show's number one defense? Uh, and if they can, will they be able to keep Anthony Davis, LeBrain, and um, Andre Drummond in check. And basically all you have to do if you've watched the uh, Fakers uh, this season is that you, you saw they had really not much when when Davis and LeBrain were out. Uh, they, they weren't that devastating. So, you know, they talk about all these role players, bench players. At the end of the day, that's exactly what they are, role players and bench players. You saw it in the, during mm-hmm. the regular season that these guys could not carry the uh, the Lakers and, and provide them a winning record without the, you know, their big two guys. So, you know, this will be a very interesting uh, series. I think the, this is hard to believe, but I think the fake show was a little overrated Right. <laughs> is is Andre is uh, Anthony Davis going to be 100 percent? Is LeBrain the phony king? Remember, the real king is James Harden in, in the borough mm-hmm. of Brooklyn. Will the phony king LeBrain, you know, 
be able to play without being injured? Those are big questions, right? Mm-hmm. Those are big questions. And I think Booker, I think Eiton, I think Chris Paul beat the fake show and, and LeBrain. And I think this one goes seven games. The Suns win at wow. home in the Valley against the fake show. And LeBrain, the phony king, will have a lot of time, uh, you know, using his PhD in philosophy and he can <laughs> philosophize about everything under the sun for the whole summer while uh, everyone else is playing basketball. So that's my prediction. Yeah, he'll 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 he'll, he'll be able to read uh, one page of a book and then finish it uh, if he can even do that. Yeah. <laughs> uh that is the the Suns Lakers matchup as we'll move on to the 3 versus 6 matchup which is uh Denver the Nuggets at the three spot, taking on Portland and the Trailblazers at the sixth spot. This is going to be a good matchup as well, I believe. It's exciting. But uh, Denver's without Jamal Murray, obviously, out for the year. But they do have, uh, I believe, who is going to be the MVP in uh, Nikola Jokic, the Joker. Uh, he's been fantastic all year long. Uh, I believe he he's the third player ever to... Uh, be in the top five for all three categories of points, assists, and rebounds. Uh, Will Chamberlain is one of the other ones. But uh, Portland on the other side, CJ McCollum and uh, Dame Time, Damian Lillard. I love Dame Time. With uh, they 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 are stacked in the in the guard category. They also have Carmelo Anthony, who is starting to heat up as of late. Uh, down low, they got Yusuf Nurkic and Ennis Cantor. Uh, I think that Portland is under, uh, not under, they, yeah, they're underseeded. I think they're underrated, uh, and I think they will beat Denver in six games uh, against the Nuggets. And uh, Jokic, unfortunately, wins the MVP, but gets bounced in the first round. Jokic is a very, very good player, and, you know, he, he basically carries the Nuggets. Yeah. I think the Nuggets you know, will be significantly impacted with the loss of Murray. And, um, you know, I don't think they have the depth that they they need. Both teams, you know, are, are have been injury plagued this season. Uh, the Blazers bench isn't all that great. Uh, and, and the Blazers finished the regular season ranked 29th in defensive rating. Uh, you know, Portland ranks second in the league in three-point attempts. And, uh, you know, the, the interesting thing is the Blazers, they, they rank six in three-point percentage at 38.5%. Denver allowed an average of 35 three-pointers per game during the regular season, which ranks 22nd. So Portland seems to have the advantage from the arc against Denver. Uh, experience. I think both teams have about the same amount of experience. This is Portland's eighth consecutive playoff appearance. The Nuggets' third straight playoff appearance. So these guys uh, are not strangers to the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Nuggets won the regular season two games to one and rested their starters in the second half of the Blazers' win on Sunday. But the Blazers who had the league's second-ranked offense overall, scored more than 122 points for 100 possessions over those three games. It's only second to the uh, the Brooklyn Nets, right? So 
I think that the Blazers will score a lot of points on the Nuggets. I don't think the Nuggets have the backcourt to play with the Blazers backcourt. Mm-hmm. So I'm calling for Dame time to beat the Nuggets in six games. All right, so uh, we're agreeing on this uh, this matchup as we move on to the last matchup of the playoffs, which is the four versus five in the West. The L.A. Clippers are taking on the Dallas Mavericks in this one. Preseason uh, P. Yeah, another good playoff series. I believe it will go seven in this one. Uh, obviously, the Clippers, as GMAC stated, have Pandemic P., uh, and they also have Kawhi Leonard, one of the best in the game I right now. Kawhi. I love Kawhi Leonard. Uh, Dallas on the other side has also one of the best in the game with Luka Doncic. I like him too. And uh, they have KP, Kristaps Porzingis. I like Porzingis too. In this one, uh, they both have very deep lineups, I believe. Uh, the Clippers got Pat Bev as well, uh, a defensive force. Uh down low, they they acquired Rondo from the Hawks, uh, veteran presence. Uh, for Dallas, they got Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, he could shoot the lights out of the ball, lights out of the gym uh, on most games. Uh, Dallas is a pretty good defensive team as well. Clippers obviously a very good defensive team with Kawhi at the helm. But in this one, I'm going with the Clippers in seven. Uh, they'll win in the Staples Center Game 7. Obviously, they're the four seed, and they will take Luka out in the first round and uh, move on to play uh, Utah in the second. K-Dog, I, I think this series, there's a lot of players I like in this series on both sides of the ball. Preseason P is not one of those players. <laughs> uh, I think, you know, the... Everybody focuses on the Clippers because they have Kawhi and preseason P, but you know, the, the Mavs have Luca and Porzingis, the unicorn, and these guys are pretty darn good. I mean, I think they're highly underrated. You know, I don't think they get the press that they should get. Um, and I think if Porzingis is healthy, he's going to be the difference in this because he's, yeah. he's the best big man on the court in this series, if you ask me. But the question is whether he's going to be healthy, whether he's going to be able to play every game. You know, uh, uh, Kawhi Leonard, what can you say about Kawhi Leonard? He didn't have a great uh, playoff last year. Carried Toronto to the victory the year before. But he, he's just a quality player. The problem is, for him, is he doesn't have the support he needs. Now you're going to say, well, what about Paul George preseason P? Preseason P has not done anything in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Last year he was abysmal in the playoffs, and he melted down in Game 7, the fourth quarter of Game 7. I remember that <laughs> shot that he Off took the on the baseline board. at the side of the backboard. I thought I was watching youth basketball. It was just terrible. And, you know, then he had so much to say after the, the they lost in the locker room. And I think most of his um, most of his teammates were just rolling their eyes saying, what is this guy talking about? Because 
You know, he, he was a no-show, and he's going to be a no-show again. I mean, what makes you believe that preseason P is going to step up and be big? He hasn't done it for any of his yeah. teams. He didn't do it for the Pacers. OKC, when he went there with Westbrook, they did nothing. Uh, so, you know, I think I think for the Clippers, uh, they, don't have a, they don't have the depth, right? I think the, the, the Mavs offense is big on jump shots. Uh, you know, they, they rank higher in, in a turnover rate rate and um, in the free throw rate as well. I think the, the Clippers, they, they're more a defensive team. They're less dependent on their offense. Uh, but I think that the Dallas Mavericks are going to dispose of the Clippers. Last year, the Clippers... You know, it was, oh, the bubble. We weren't into it because of the COVID. Playing in the bubble, we weren't into it. Well, I don't know what their excuse is going to be this year <laughs> when Dallas knocks them out in the first round. I think this game, go- I think this series goes six games. Wow. So uh, Dallas in six? Yeah, that's what I'm okay. calling for. Okay. Right. Uh, Come right. on now. Yeah, I don't know about that one, well, but we'll it's, see. It's all right. We'll see what happens there. Right. Uh, Preseason P. We're, now that we're done with the NBA playoff preview, we'll move on to the NHL for the Islanders Rewind. In the first round, uh, and so far in the first round, it is all even, two and two uh, for the first round. And we'll start out with game one. And it was a 4-3 overtime win for the Isles. Uh, Ilya Sorokin started because uh, Varlamov was hurt. And he had a fantastic game. Uh, 39 saves on 42 attempts, only letting in three. Uh, Tristan Yari, on the other hand, gave up four goals on 37 attempts. Uh, and it started out with a Kyle, Par- Kyle Palmieri goal uh, eight minutes into the game assisted by J.G. Pajot, and uh, it was one nothing Islanders. But then uh, three minutes later, Freddie Goudreau for the Pittsburgh Penguins scored, equalizing this game. And then in the second period, Sidney Crosby uh, scored his first of the playoffs, making it 2-1 Penguins, and the Isles were down 2-1 going into the third. But then they heated up. J.G. Pajot, three minutes into the third, equalized the game. And then with uh, four minutes left in the game, Brock Nelson scored uh, his first of the playoffs, making it 3-2 Isles. But then uh, Kasperi Kapanen, about 30 seconds later, scored the equalizer, um, making it 3-3. Going into overtime... Kyle Paul Mary scored the game winner uh, in overtime to win 4-3. And this game looked like game one of the 2019 first round against Pittsburgh, where they won 4-3 off a Josh Bailey goal. Uh, but uh, Kyle Paul Mary obviously starting this one with two goals. Uh, his plus minus was one. J.G. Pajot also had a goal with two assists. His plus minus was two. Uh, and then Sorokin obviously had a really good game, uh, 39 saves on 42 attempts. 
but the Ios took game one from the Penguins in Pittsburgh and uh, look to continue in the game two. K-Dog, you know, game one, Sorokin played very well starting in game one for uh, Varlamov, who was still injured. You know, this, this wasn't an Islanders game. They gave up way too many shots on goal, much too many. Uh, they, and, they, and they themselves had more shots on goal than they, they typically have. Uh, they can they cannot win, in my opinion, these shootouts. They came on the right side of this shootout. Uh, Palmieri, who hasn't done much in the regular season since he came over from the Devils, had two goals. So let's hope that maybe he can find his stride in the playoffs because, you know, that's why they acquired him to get some additional scoring uh, and also with the hope that uh, Travis Zajac could his veteran presence could contribute uh, to some leadership in the locker room and contribute on the ice as well. Uh, neither of those things have panned out with that transaction. But, you know, I think the Islanders, you know, Sorokin saved them in this one. I think, you know, they, they got off to the, to the fast start, taking the lead, but they kind of got out of their, their game and they, they let Pittsburgh get back in it time and time again. And, you know, they just can't do that. If they, if they, play, if they don't play, you know, a tight checking game, if they don't play a containment game and limit the shots on goal to like 25 a game, they're going to have a problem. They're mm-hmm. going to have a problem. Uh, and, you know, they just were bailed out in this one by Sorokin, in my opinion. And they got some goals from people that they need to get goals from. So, you know, it was it was a win, uh, and a win's a win. It just was not an Islanders type win. Yeah, it was not. And then in game two, uh, the Islanders unfortunately dropped one to the Penguins, two one. Uh, they scored four goals in game one. Scored one goal in game two. Uh, it it looked like their uh, offensive firepower was non-existent in this game. Uh, Varlamov, uh, 43 saves on 45 attempts. He saw 45 shots in this game. Only let two in. One was very suspect. But uh, Tristan Yari, on the other hand, had a fantastic game. 37 saves on 38 attempts, letting in one. Uh, first period started out with a, with a Rusk goal. Uh, three minutes into the game off of deflection, Ryan Pollock uh, deflected it off of him and it went into the net. And then uh, later in the first period, Jeff Carter, uh, I don't know how Varlamov didn't save it. It was right by his glove into the net, uh, making it 2 nothing Penguins. And it uh, with the lackluster offense from the Islanders, it just looked... Uh, it looked bad in the first period. And then in the second period, Josh Bailey scored his first of the postseason uh, 15 minutes into the second period. Uh, but that was it after that. The Islanders couldn't get any more chances. Uh, and they just looked bad on the offensive end. Uh, they were 0 for 1 in power play. Uh, and uh, in this one, it was just uh, 
Penguins beat them at their own game, low scoring, but uh, great goaltending in this one from Yari. K-Dog, you, you called it exactly as it was. The Penguins beat the Islanders at their own game. The Penguins got up early on the Isles. And, um, you know, the Islanders need to play from out in front. They cannot play from behind because they won't win. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the Penguins had like 20 shots on goal in the first period in that game, if I recall correctly. Yeah. Varlamov was not good. He was not good at all. You talked about that goal. I I don't know how he missed that. I mean, he he looked like... uh, a little leaguer in outfield trying to catch a pop fly running around and, you know, it falls right, you know, right behind him. But I, I don't know how he missed that goal, but you know, that really set the tone for the game. Islanders got down two zip early, you know, they, they scored, but they, they really weren't much of a threat at all in this game. I think they had a, you know, a total of like 25 shots on goal at the, at the most in this game. And they really, never threatened and they played with absolutely no sense of urgency in this game mm-hmm. whatsoever they were out hustled they were out hit they weren't physical and you know Varlamov wasn't wasn't good he wasn't solid and the, the you know they just lacked the emotion and the sense of urgency and they, they just didn't play up to playoff hockey and they, these people got to raise their game this isn't the regular season anymore intensity has increased the level of effort and the sense of urgency incre- increased and the islanders players did not increase their intensity and their sense of urgency of this this one they kind of just mailed it in mm-hmm. uh, i'm thinking because they said well you know we, we won the first game so we got home ice advantage now yeah well in game three that uh home ice advantage uh, did not come to fruition as they lost in a thriller 5-4 to four against the Penguins. Uh, Varlamov was horrible in this game. He saw 27 shots, let in 5. That's good for an 81% save percentage, which is not good. And Tristan Yari was also very bad, but he was a little less bad than Varlamov, giving up uh, 4 goals on 30 attempts. And the scoring started out with a Latang goal in the uh, first period for the Penguins, making it one nothing. And then in the second period, Mayfield equalized the game at 1. But then after that, uh, Jeff Carter and Jason Zucker scored two goals for the Penguins, making it 3-1. And going into the third, uh, it seemed like the Isles were going to... Uh, let just lay down and die in this one. But uh, in the third period, Cal Clutterbuck scored, uh, making it uh, 3-2. And then Beauvillier on a power play tied it up at three apiece. But then uh, Clutterbuck, with the pow- he got uh, a penalty, and it led to a Jeff Carter goal. Power play goal, his second of the game, third of the postseason, uh, making it 4-3. Penguins, but then Clutterbuck scored his second of the game, making it 4 4 uh, apiece. And then, with uh, th- about four minutes left in the game, uh, Brandon Tanev scored his first of the game, uh, first of the postseason as well, making it 5 4 Pittsburgh. Uh, and that was it. Uh, Isles 
dropped it the uh, third game, and they were down 2-1 going into this. And I think the uh, the downfall of this one was the power play uh, goal by Jeff Carter. K-Dog, you know, the Islanders, even though they, they had an opportunity, even though they fell behind, they had an opportunity. They showed some resilience by coming back. However, whenever they tied it, you know, Pittsburgh had a response. And, you know, I never criticize Barry Trotz, but in this game, you know, I'm going to be a little critical of him. And it's, it's hard to be critical of Barry Trotz. He's the best coach in the NHL. I mean, the fact that he has the Islanders making the playoffs three straight years with this roster is just amazing because this roster is not chock full of talent, let's be honest, mm-hmm. right? He has a system. His system works. He's got players that, you know, are, are doing fairly good in, in the system. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, I thought that he should have started Sorokin in game three mm-hmm. after Varlamov was just bad in, in game two. And, you know, Varlamov was bad in game three as well. Right? Yes. And, you know, you and I were watching the game. And after the second period, I, I, I said to you, K-Dog, he's got to put Sorokin in for the start of the mm-hmm. third period. He did not. And Varlamov gave up two goals in the third period after the Islanders, you know, fought back to get, get a tie, right? You know, Cal Clutterbuck had two goals, and he was on. They were on all cylinders that line. However, then Cal Clutterbuck took a penalty, and that led to the game-winning goal when he was in mm-hmm. the penalty box. So, you know, and he, but you can't criticize Clutterbuck uh, because his line, he and his line are the only ones that are play a physical game. The rest of the team's not playing any physical game. However, the penalty killed him, and. You know, so that's my criticism of Trotz is that he should have started Sorokin in game three, or at least he should have pulled Varlamov after the second period and started him in the third period. I think that would have been a different game. I think they would have won the game. Yeah, well, in uh, game four, the Islanders came storming back with a 4 1 win against the Penguins, and uh, Trotz put in Sorokin, and Sorokin. Finished the job, 29 saves on 30 attempts. The one goal was basically a garbage time goal with only two minutes left in the third uh, by Aston Reese of the Penguins. But Sorokin had a fantastic game. Uh, Tristan Yari, uh, the Isles got the best of Yari in this one. Four goals uh, allowed on 26 attempts. Uh, It was looking like a Varlamov game three stat line. But in the second period... The Isles scored Josh Bailey's second of the playoffs eight minutes into the game, making it 1-0 Islanders. And then Ryan Pollock, with five minutes left in the second period, scored his first of the postseason. Amazing. Off a deflection uh, by the Penguins defender. And then in the third period, the Isles just poured it on. Ollie Wallstrom with a power play goal, making it 3-0 Isles. And then to top it off, Jordan Eberle, uh, about 25 seconds later, scored his first of the postseason on a power play goal, making it 4-0 Isles. 
and that was it. That was it from the game. Uh, Aston Reese scored, as I said before, a uh, garbage time goal um, on a shorthander. But uh, the Islanders dominated this game. Uh, they d- dominated the faceoff percentage, 33 to 17. Uh, they were two for five on the power play, while the Penguins were 0 for one. And uh, it, now it's a best of three series. And uh, Sorokin's got to start, I believe, the rest of the way. Okay, dog. He definitely has to start the rest of the, the way. And the story of this game was Sorokin, right? Yeah. Sorokin kept him in early when the Penguins had, you know, a breakaway early mm-hmm. in the first period, right? And he came up big there. He came up big several times in the first period to keep him in it. Uh, and and that, that, that was the story is his play kept them in it until the Islanders could get something going. Uh, you know, and then they got it going in the second period, right? Josh Bailey scored, who I forgot was on the team. <laughs> you know, most of the time it's, you know, as though he's not on the team. But scored a goal, got to give him credit. And you know you're going to win if you get a goal from Josh Bailey and from Pollock, Pollock right? Because yeah. usually Pollock's giving, the, giving the, the puck away, right? And if you ask <laughs> me, his performance in the playoffs has not been good. He is giving the puck away way too much. He scored in this game, you know, which, you know, Islanders need scoring from anybody. So, you know, that's uh, quite quite an accomplishment considering I think he had one goal all year. Uh, so he hasn't found his scoring touch. That's for certain. Uh, but at least he, he didn't give the puck away in this particular instance. And, you know, the key for the Islanders is they started taking shots on goal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that's their problem. They get too cute sometimes, and they want to make the perfect pass and get the perfect setup, which usually results in passing the puck around the perimeter and no shots on goal. All right. Yes. Uh, yesterday's game, they were at least firing pucks on net. And that's how they, that's yeah. how they got these goals is because they were firing pucks on net you know not looking for the perfect setup and then turning the puck over uh around the perimeter but you know if they want to win this if they want to win this they need their best players to step up barzell has done nothing he had two assists yesterday okay two assists but you know he 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 passes when he should shoot. I mean, I don't know what he was doing yesterday. He wasn't shooting when he had perfect opportunities mm-hmm. to shoot. He passes when he should shoot. He shoots when he should pass. I don't know if he just lacks the you know hockey IQ or what, or you know he just gets caught up in the Barry Trotz uh, system when he wants to be more of a free flowing player. I- I'm not sure, but he he's got to get it going. Beauvillier's got to get it yeah. going because he's had a horrible series. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many scoring opportunities he's had that he, he hasn't converted. He just has not played well. And, you know, the team has to pick up their physicality. Other than the fourth line, nobody's hitting. Nobody's finishing checks. Pittsburgh does not like to play physical. So you have to play them physical. You have to get pucks on their goalie jari if you do that you're gonna win if you pull a game two well then you're not gonna win yeah and and certainly sorokin unless he stinks out the joint in game five has to be going the rest of the way yeah so 
That is the Islanders Rewind as we'll uh, finish off the series next week uh, when it obviously finishes off. Uh, And now that we're done with the NHL, we'll move on to the MLB and we'll start out with the New York Mets Rewind. And the Mets this week had a three-game stint against the Braves and a three-game stint against the Marlins. And... The Mets surprisingly took two out of three from the Braves. I don't know how they did that. Uh, they definitely could have swept, but uh, game uh, the third game was a uh, Ronald Acuna walk off, one of the best in the game right now, as they lost five to four in that one. But in the first game, it was a three-one win for the Mets. Uh, it was a bullpen game in this one. Uh, Tywin Walker got hurt uh, three innings into it. But uh, Sean Reed fully cleaned up with three innings pitched, no hits, no walks, uh, 5Ks, so three perfect innings. Familia had a good outing as well, one inning pitched with 1K. uh, And Edwin Diaz got the save in this one. He's been good, Edwin. Yeah, he's been really good as of late. Uh, I believe right now the two best closers – in the league could be New from York. New York yeah. with uh, Chapman on the other side, but uh, the Mets won three to one in this one, uh, and they won the first game of the uh, Braves matchup. K Dog, you know the the Mets took two of three. I, I don't know how. I'm still trying to yeah. figure out how they took two of three. You know their injuries continue to mount, but e- even without their injuries, uh, you know this team is flawed, very much flawed, uh, and 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 now you're seeing it. E- every game is a bullpen game for the New York Mets. I think, you know, because Degrom's out. I don't know when Degrom's going to return, but you know when we were talking about his absence, if he's out, if he misses more than two starts, the Mets are going to be in trouble. Yeah. Right, because they don't have anybody else to pitch. Strowman, you know, he's been okay. I mean, he's had some good outings, uh, but, you know, lately his outings have kind of been okay. So so he's your only reliable starter, I'll say, at this point. Peterson is up and down, mm-hmm. right? And uh, Taiwan Walker got hurt, okay, and he was doing fairly well. And then you have uh, Lucchese, and, you know, if you can get a couple innings out of Lucchese, consider yourself lucky, mm-hmm. right? But you, they're pitching, which I thought was going to be a problem at the beginning because I think they overvalued their pitching, and I get it. They have some injuries. Carrasco's hurt, but Carrasco's not going to be that great, all right? He, he's, your, he's your fourth starter. Yeah, and he'll be better than today's fourth yeah. starter. But, um, you know, he's not going to be that great. And and then you, you might get Syndergaard back in July, maybe. I don't know when he's coming back. But, you know, Syndergaard, we'll see what he is after his surgery. And But, but before his surgery, he was a five-inning, three-run pitcher. Mm-hmm. So then you still had to turn it over to the bullpen. And the bullpen's doing fairly well. I mean, they're just getting so overused that um, you know they're getting exposed because they have to pitch whole games. Yeah. Because and I don't understand how you can't have somebody on the farm team that can't come up and throw five innings. I mean it's just ridiculous where you have to. This guy pitches an inning. This guy pitches two innings. 
I mean, you got to try to stretch some of these guys out. I mean, they're major league pitchers. They got to be able to pitch three, four innings. So I, I think that's going to be the problem for the Mets. And, um, you know, the other problem for the Mets is they just can't hit. I mean, they yeah. can't score any runs. It, and it doesn't matter whether it was their starters or whether it's their backups. They didn't score any runs last year. It's the same. It's the same thing. They didn't score any runs the year before. This year is the same thing. And you know, Sandy Alderson has to be thinking about his two main acquisitions in Lindor, who's been horrendous, and McCann, who has been equally as horrendous. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. know, th- those were his two big acquisitions. Lindor's hitting under two hundred, and McCann's hitting two hundred. You know, I rather play Nitto. Nitto, at least he's shown that he's kind of somewhat of a clutch hitter. Yeah, I mean, he's not Johnny Bench, don't get me wrong. But, you know, I think he's hitting better than McCann. Yeah. And he's hitting in the clutch better than McCann. And and there's not a big drop-off defensively between Nitto and McCann. And you're not paying Nitto anything, and you're paying McCann a lot of money to be average at best. And... You know, Lindor, unless he gets it going, he, he's going to be the next Jason Bay. They're going to run him out of this town. Yeah, no, yeah, you're, you're right. The The two uh, off-season acquisitions, the two big ones, have been obviously the worst ones out of all of them. Uh, Taiwan Walker, before he got injured, was the surprise of the off-season acquisitions, pitching uh, one of the best in, in the game. He's been good. Uh, for for the Mets right now, but uh, they took two out of three against the Braves, and then they went to Miami to take on uh, the Marlins for three games. Uh, they won the first game in twelve innings, six to five, on uh, six runs and eight hits. Uh, for this, it was a Khalil Lee double, the rookie uh, that put the Mets over the top. Uh, and then uh, John Schwai Vargas also had a triple in the 12th to make it 6-3. to three. Uh, But then the Miami Marlins got two in this one. But uh, they closed it off with a Jacob Barnes save, uh, making it 6-5. But then in the other two games, uh, it seemed like the hitting st- was starting to come together. But the last two games, they lost 3-1. to one. And they lost five to one as well in the last two games. It just comes uh, like uh, in the last game against the Marlins, the five-one loss. They had six hits, but only one run, and the Marlins had five hit, five runs with seven hits. It's just the clutch hitting is not there for the Mets, just like last year. And uh, uh, they go into next week on a losing streak, a two-game losing streak, and it was against the Marlins too, which is not good. K Dog. Uh, the Syracuse Mets took one out of three from the uh, Miami Marlins here. And, you know, game one was very exciting. They, uh, they're, they're, they're backup players, did a nice job. But the key in game one was how well the bullpen pitched. The fact that the bullpen was able to hold them them being the Marlins from the ninth inning to the twelfth inning yeah. was just excellent. I mean, because you didn't know if the Mets were ever going to score again in that game. K 
considering the run, the number of runs that they had scored uh, to that point. So th- that's where the game was won with uh, solid bull, uh, bullpen pitching. You know, and then the, the next two games, it just was, you know, a complete lack of hitting. And, you know, say what you want. Yes, they are the Syracuse Mets right now. Say what you want, but... You still have Dom Smith in the lineup, mm-hmm. right? What Dom's hitting like 220, 230. Yeah. All right. You still have your $370 million man in the lineup, you know, hitting 197. You still have McCann in the lineup hitting 200. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, so you're, you're not losing. You, you've lost, yes, at first base. You have Dom Smith instead of Alfred. Alonzo, uh, second base, you, you lost McNeil. McNeil hasn't been doing that great. Uh, at third base, you lost Davis. Okay, he, you know he was he's probably their most reliable hitter. And then you know you, you lost Nimmo in the outfield, and you lost Conforto in the outfield. Okay, Nimmo he's a fourth star, fourth outfielder. I don't care. On a good team, he's a fourth outfielder. Conforto on a good team. I don't know if he starts, uh, honestly. I know, I know people – you see, the problem with the Mets, and that's why they're not any good, is because they overvalue their players. Yes, they're in first place right now. I don't know how they're doing it. But, uh, you know, they just overvalue their players and think these players are really good when they're, they're just average players at best. And if they somehow can come in first place, it's going to have to be – through their pitching, Degrom has to come back and be the goat. Syndergaard's going to have to come back and be good. Strowman's going to have to be good. Carrasco, if he ever comes back, is going to have to be good. You know, uh, I, I'm wondering, you know, if he's he's going to be the next. Uh, who was the guy on the Mets that got two two at bats? And oh, Jed Lowry. Yeah, is, is Carrasco going to be the next Jed Lowry, Kate? <laughs> um, I hope not. <laughs> right, so. You know, those guys are going to have to come back, and the bullpen is going to have to be as good as it's been. You know, people like Familia have been good. Diaz has been very good. And that's how they're going to win because, mm-hmm. you know, they're not going to score a lot of runs. I don't care what you say. Um, and, you know, they're going to need something from Lindor. He's got he's to at least hit 250 and hit 10 home runs. He's got to at least do that. So... And McCann's got to hit, hit hit at least two fifty and hit ten home runs. Otherwise, these guys are busts. I mean, I don't yeah. know what else to say, K Dog? Yeah, right now, yeah, obviously the the two big guys got to step up and earn their money uh, for the Mets to be good. And uh, once the starting pitching comes back, hopefully they'll get on the right track instead of bullpen game after bullpen game. But taking a look at the week ahead. It is a four-game series against the Rockies at home and then a three-game series against the Braves at home. Uh, they got to take three out of four against the Rockies. And then uh, see, looking at the previous Braves matchup, I, I think they will take two out of three against the Braves again. So, K-Dog, let's see. I, I don't know if DeGrom is going to be back for any of these games. I haven't seen... Uh his status as of late the Rockies are terrible on the road just awful on the road uh so 
you know, the Mets should take two from them. I don't see them taking two out of three from the Braves again because I just don't know who they're going to run out for pitching. Yeah. I mean, how many of these games are going to be these so-called bullpen games, right? You got Peterson, right, and you got Stroman, but then after that, you got three bullpen yeah. games. So you're going to have, you're going to have maybe two bullpen games against the Rockies. So they should split. Mm -hmm. I think they're going to split against the Rockies. And then all three games against the Braves will probably be bullpen games. You're going to throw Wheel Lucchese out there. And, yeah. You know, he's not going to pitch <laughs> pitch that as well as he did the, the other day, right? I mean, he, how many innings did he pitch? Five? Uh, yeah. He pitched five, five scoreless, all right? That's the best he's done all year. Uh, he probably won't do that again. No. So you're going to have three bullpen games against the, the Braves, and I think they'll lose at least two of those. Um, I don't think they're going to win two out of three against the Braves, and I think they'll split against the, the Rockies. So. Yeah, so that is the Mets rewind and preview as we'll move on to the Yankees now. And the Yankees are on a tear. Uh, they had a four-game uh, matchup with the Rangers, they lost the first one, 5-2, uh, but then they won the last three by scores of 7-4, 2-0, and 2-0. Uh, the Wednesday game, though, is the story of this series. Uh, Corey Kluber with a no-hitter, uh, nine strikeouts, only one walk in this game, uh, and he had a fantastic game, obviously, keeping the Rangers no-hit through nine uh fantastic game from him and he's looking like the pickup of the offseason for the Yankees right now pitching fantastically uh and all, all the Yankees starters are pitching well really uh, well they're starting pitching, Do Domingo pitching really well. Domingo Herman the game right after that uh it was another two nothing win seven well. innings pitched six hits five k's zero runs uh and uh, don't forget about Chapman, uh, the best closer in the game right now, with uh, with 36 strikeouts and 18 innings pitched, 11 saves, only six walks. Uh, ERA was a zero up until today, but uh, he's three and zero in this uh, game in this season. Uh, fantastic, and in this series, it showed that the uh, starting pitching is starting to heat up. Okay, dog, you know, the, the story against the Rangers was certainly, you know, Cor Corey Kluber, right? Um, he, you know, he uh, was on the Rangers last year, right? So mm -hmm. he only pitched, he only pitched in one, he only pitched one inning for the Rangers last <laughs> year. One inning, right? So... He, he, he pitched one scoreless inning last July in the Rangers uniform. He left due to uh, tightness in his shoulder. And, you know, that proved to be a grade two tear of his terrace major muscle. He was done, right? So in his return to Texas, I mean, can, you just can't make can't up make this it story. Up. I mean, this is just like fairy tale story. The two-time American Cy Young winner through the Yankees first no hitter since 1999 so I mean this guy 
he's slowly gotten better, I think, as this as the season uh, progresses, and that's huge for the Yankees. They, they signed this guy kind of as a flyer and didn't know what they were going to get from him, but he has proven thus far that uh, he continues to get better and better as the season goes on, and you know he will. The Yankees will will need that because when the season started, uh, I thought that um, you know the the Yankees bullpen uh, starting pitching was somewhat suspect. Okay, and uh, you know as a result of that, they needed to make to have people like Kluber be the dominant pitcher that, that he was previously. And, you know, now they're getting Herman going, right? And as a result, that you know, I, I can't remember what the, I think, you know, the last seven starts for the Yankees, their pitching has been incredible. Yeah. Right? So... But ironically, this is the the, uh, the last Yankee to throw a no hitter in 1999 was former Met David Cohn, and actually it was a, a perfect game. So uh, that was the last time the Yankees had a no hitter. 1999, it's the first one this century for the Yankees, and it was David Cohn pitching the perfect perfect game against the Montreal Expos K-Dog. Wow. Yeah, so they're at the stadium. Yeah, they're not uh they're now the Nationals and uh moving on to the second series against the White Sox. And and you know what's before we go on to that K-Dog, you know what's funny about that uh perfect game is that game against the Expos was part of Yogi Berra Day. And uh, before the game, the Yankees pitcher Don Larson threw the ceremonial first pitch to Yogi Berra, right? And Don mm-hmm. Larson pitched a perfect game in the World Series in 1956. So it's kind of an interesting yeah, wow. story. Yeah. Uh, now moving on to the White Sox uh, series. They swept the White Sox. I thought they would have been swept uh, was, by the White Sox. Was, the Yankees are playing good, I'm telling you. Yeah, now they're heating up. But uh, two walk-off wins sandwiched by a Garrett Cole 7-0 win. Uh, Cole in this game, seven innings pitched, four hits, seven Ks, zero earned runs. Uh, and uh, the Yankees had seven runs, 11 hits in this game against Dylan Cease. Uh, the two walk-off wins got Chapman his third and fourth wins. He's just pitching tremendous of the season. And in the first down. game, first game it was a Glaber Torres walk-off single, uh, scoring Aaron Judge for the win. He also had the home run in the game uh, in the seventh inning. Uh, so he had both RBIs in this game. And then in the recent five-four win, uh, Chapman. Blew the save, but then got the win in the end, uh, giving up his first run of the season uh, against, uh, who was it? It was Andrew Vaughn, home run, the rookie, Andrew Vaughn. Uh, but then Aaron Judge gets walked with the bases loaded for the win in the bottom of the ninth. Judge's first walk-off win as a Yankee is a walk-off walk, of course. 
But uh, the Yankees are firing on all cylinders, especially against a first-place team like the White Sox. I, I was shocked that the Yankees swept the White Sox. In fact, you know, I, I think uh, I expected, I think I predicted the White Sox would, you know, take at least two out of three. Uh, I yeah, think, I had them I think sweeping. You had them sweeping. Yeah, I, I wasn't as uh, bullish about that as you were. But, um, the, you know, they are getting the starting pitching, right? So, so the Yankees... Um, the the Yankees in this in this series or last series they get a, uh, a a no hitter and in this game they got a triple play yeah. against the White Sox so you know the Yankees are just you know they're they're getting you know they're getting solid pitching and you know they're they're getting a, a you know, things like a triple play and and before Friday's triple play. The Yanks' most recent triple play, K Dog, came on April 17th, 2014, in a 10 2 win over the Rays at Tropicana Field. Mm. And, you know, it went uh, third baseman Solarte to second baseman Brian Roberts to first baseman Scott Sizemore. So nobody probably remembers any of those guys for the <laughs> most part. But, uh, you know, that was their, that was their, their, uh, their, their triple play. And um, you know, Urshela was huge with with that, where uh, you know he reacted instinctively on this hard grounder uh, to the left side of the infield. He gloved the ball, stepped on third, fired to Odor at second. Odor turned turned it and threw a you know to first baseman Voigt for the triple play, and uh, you know that's that's what you know ended the ninth inning. With uh, yeah. with uh, Araldis Chapman looked like he was in trouble, and you know then they get this triple play. So I mean the Yankees, they are starting to get it together. You know when they need pitching, they're getting it, and they last seven games have been incredible pitching. When they need hitting, you know they're starting to get get the hitting, and, and their closer has just been lights out. Right now he's the best closer in Major League Baseball. You know, and Edwin Diaz is probably, you know, behind him, obviously. But, you know, he, he's also been uh, pr- pretty locked down as well. But the Yankees, they got it going. They get the triple play. And, you know, they sweep a, a trifecta from the White Sox, who, you know, they, they're a good team, the White Sox. Yeah, a very good team. Taking a look at the week ahead, though, for the Yankees, it's a three-game matchup against their AL East rivals, the Blue Jays at home and then on the weekend trip they go to detroit to take on the tigers Uh, i think they take two out of three against the blue jays the struggling blue jays right now only one game over 500 and uh they sweep the tigers easily the tigers are abysmal just like the rangers and uh i i think they they take both series but the tigers is a sweep k-dog you know, it seems like the Yankees play the Tigers as much as they do the Orioles. <laughs> I mean, it just seems like they're always playing the Tigers. But, you know, I, I think the Dunedin Blue Jays will will play well in the Bronx. Well, now they're Buffalo. Oh, they're, they've moved to they Buffalo moved now. Buffalo, Buffalo, yeah. So they're back to the Buffalo Blue Jays. Yeah, yeah I'm starting to petition. I, I think the Blue Jays should stay in the in the United States. 
and play their home games in Buffalo permanently. I think Buffalo should build a dome, K-Dog. That would be fun. And, and have uh, the Blue Jays play in, in Buffalo and, and forget forget Canada, all right? Um, so that's my new petition. You know I love these petition things. But anyway, I'm saying the Buffalo Blue Jays, uh, I think they're going to take two or three from the Yankees in this one. I think the pitch. Wow. I think the pitching matchups, you know, uh, are slightly favorable for the uh, Blue Jays, and then I think the Yankees take three from the, the Detroit uh, Tigers. I don't think the Tigers will be uh, the toothless Tigers will put up much of a fight against the Bombers in this one. So I'm, I'm saying Buffalo two beats them two out of three, and then they sweep the. Uh, the Tigers, K-Dog. All right, so that was the Yankees Rewind and Preview as we move on to our final topic of the day, which is K-Dog's Fantasy Minute. Oh, I can't wait for this. And uh, we started out this week 1-5, but going into Sunday's matchup, we are up 45 points with only a few players to go. 40, you're up 45 points? Yeah, so I... It is uh, looking like this game is over, uh, so I'll be moving to two and five on the season, a second win of the season. Hopefully, we wow, can second win of the season, two and yeah, five. Yeah, hopefully we can uh, move forward after this one. But my performer of the week was Miguel Sano, fifty-one points. Oh, Sano, fifty-one yeah. points. Eight for twenty-six. Wow. Five home runs, ten RBIs, three doubles. Wow. Uh, fantastic from... Uh, I, I think he had more hits, doubles, than the Mets have had all season. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Uh, loser of the week was Mike Trout, one point. Oh, he got injured. Yeah. Uh, that's going to kill you. Yeah, out six Trout. to eight weeks. So uh, That's going to kill the Angels as well. Yeah. That's going to kill your fantasy. Yeah. My, yeah, it's looking bleak right now for my fantasy team. Yeah. Uh, are you, are you going to get fired before Sandy Alderson? Or? No, 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 not yet. Okay. Uh, but my uh, surprise of the week, Will Smith, catcher for the Dodgers, 36 points, 9 for 19, two home runs, four RBIs, wow. a double, and seven runs. Wow, he's getting it done. He and DJ Jazzy Jeff getting it done. Yeah, yeah, fresh prints. But uh, and my uh, disappointment of the week was probably Manny Machado, 10 points on the week. Two for 10 tw- points? Yeah, two for 12 with oh, a home run word. and two RBIs. Oh, so, my word. you got to uh, get more than 10 points out of Machado every week. Yeah, especially why, with that 19-run win. I uh, why you're in last place. Yeah, but uh, two and five, we'll see if we can go three and five next week. Hopefully we can. But that's it from the seller today. Here's hoping our team can get out of the seller soon.